This is an ABC podcast. Now, Steph. Yes, Annabelle. And uh, really, welcome to anyone joining us orally in this squishy dark room, by the way. Um, This is going to seem like kind of a weird diversion, but today we are talking about fashion. Because I look up to you as a fashion expert, actually, Steph. Oh, (laughs) You know, I'll just I'll just give them a bit of a um, rundown of what I'm wearing right now. I've got on some tracky dacks. Um, my bra is in the wash. I own one bra, so I'm at the ABC with no bra on. She's um, on the loose, like I'm, in every I'm possible just, sense. Absolutely. So thank you. I am the fashion expert. <laughs> Well, because I mean, it seems weird that if you're kind of having a extended conversation about women in politics that you would even mention clothing because, honestly, for men in politics, clothing is like, it's like a, not like a disguise, but it's almost like a qualification. Like they, they put on the suit and it makes them look like they belong. Very true. Right? Yeah. And they can also use the clothing to kind of express what it is they're there to do, right? Like, so if you're in a place and a politician walks in there in a suit, you're like, oh, they're here to announce something or to, you know, make a speech or, you know. that person belongs here, Or you've been in a meeting. They look authoritative and sort of organised and neat and tidy and, like, ready for business. And if they turn up and they're, like, you see them there, they're wearing, like, you know, an Akubra and sort of Mm -hmm. those chino pant things and, like, the blue and white striped shirt, you're like, oh, you're off to make a regional announcement, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So true. It's so true. (laughs) And, like, it's so funny you watch them and you're like, you know that they're going to a regional area. I always look in and I'm like, are they going to go? Are they going to go to the Akubra? Oh, yep, yep, yes, they are. Elastic-sided boots. (laughs) It feels sneaky. R.M. William boots are really expensive, so I'm like, Mm -hmm. did you just buy those to go on the... (laughs) Wow. And then they always... see what you're doing. They often have to put their leg up on something as well, like it makes them look more regionally qualified. Like, uh, is there a stump that I can put my leg up on? Because then it looks, I look a bit more like I belong here. It cracks me up because as a person who grew up in a regional pocket and nobody ever dresses like that, I just, it makes me laugh. Um, I grew up in Mount Isa. They kind of did dress like that. Right. What, mm. what R.M. Williams and chinos and Nicky okay. Press blue Maybe. and white stripy <laughs> shirts? Really? No. Which bit of Mount Isa was no, that? Just, <laughs> just cowboy hats is really oh, what yeah. I meant. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. cowboys. But the thing is, though, for women... Wardrobe is so much more kind of trouble prone. Like, and it's sort of, I always look at them and I think that for men, clothing is a shortcut. Like, it actually saves them time in the morning because it's like, put on a suit, easy. Yeah. No brain work required. Whereas for women, like, everything you put on, and this is more the case the more senior you get, the more risky it is, right? And mm. also, like, people will absolutely always have an opinion on what you're wearing. And I, 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 Julia Gillard told me this, like, story that I absolutely love, which is actually not from when she was Prime Minister. It's when she was, like, you know, just a normal local MP. And mm. here she is uh, on campaign. I remember very clearly uh, campaigning on one very windy, unpleasant day uh, in Werribee in my electorate and I was handing out uh, brochures standing next to one of my clapperboards, you know, which has got a picture of you on both sides, a very nice picture that's been taken professionally when your hair's all done and all the rest of it. And this um, old guy coming past and looking at me and then looking at the picture and then looking at me and ultimately saying, 
taken on a good day, wasn't it, love? Um, to which I said, you know, I mean, what, what could you possibly say? At one level, you could have just left it. But I thought, oh, no, this is just too hysterically funny. Uh, I said, well, you'd be Robert Redford, would you, mate? Um, and he said, no, I'm going to vote for you. And I said, you're bloody well better after that. And so he wandered off. I don't know whether he did vote for me, but there was uh, no appreciable knock in the margin in Lawler. So <laughs> hopefully he did. She sounds so charming. <laughs> she's like, I reckon she's just seen a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love how she tells that story, but also um, just that kind of feeling that you're up for discussion. Yeah. Right? Of course. That, you know, what you look like is part of the discussion in a way that it never is for blokes. And skipping forward like a a, a bunch of years and a whole lot of political difficulty, mm. have a listen to this story, which is she's telling the story of the first day that she went out as Prime Minister after being wow. sworn in, right? Like, so she's the first female Prime Minister in the history mm. of Australia and she's doing this, I think it was like it was in Queanbeyan, not that far mm. even from Canberra, and she went to do, like, the ultimate basic excursion, which is like a walk around a shopping centre. It was cold. It was Canberra. It's cold. Um, and uh, I had a, a sort of three-quarter length jacket on, um, which I think got described as like a cheap motel bedspread or something, um, meaning that I did want to ask the journalist involved just how much time he had spent in cheap motels, but <laughs> the moment uh, passed me by. I mean, I, I obviously knew. I mean, I didn't come from, you know, sort of uh, Mars into Australian politics. I obviously knew that uh, women got reported through what they were wearing. So I, I knew that there would be inquiry about that. The level of it, the amplitude of it, took me by surprise. I don't think you ever wore the jacket again. I think the jacket uh, had its moment in the, the wintry sunshine and then it went to the back of the cupboard. That's true. <laughs> Poor jacket. Wow. It, I'm fascinated by this idea that, like, a decision that you make into which you don't think you probably need to put that much effort. Mm. And, like, after that, there was a lot of effort put into, like, mm. what can she find to wear that will be as invisible as suits are for men? Uh, that's, that's politics out of the way for me. I'm not doing politics anymore because I don't, I don't ever wear shoes, Annabelle. <laughs> can you imagine having to wear shoes just because people would be looking yeah, but they're looking at every single bit of you and it's not just the clothing either because I think with Julia Gillard, like, she did get to a point where she had, like, a, you know, a bit like Angela Merkel who was always, like, wearing pretty much the same thing in various different shades. Mm. Like, most of them get to a point where they're like, okay, there'll be a uniform of some kind because I need to look consistent because if there's mm. ever a variation from the norm, that is what people will spend the day talking about. So, so here's something for you as well. So you used to work in Parliament as a reporter mm -hmm. or as a correspondent. Did you ever write about women's outfits or were you ever instructed I, to? So I remember actually doing a really bad thing when I was a reporter once. Like I was doing a profile of Jenny Macklin. I've actually like apologised to her a bunch of times about this. Because, like, I was a baby journalist, right? Mm. And um, I was doing a profile on her and somebody had said to me, oh, look how the way she's changed her appearance over the last year or two. Like, she's got her hair kind of lightened. She's wearing more makeup. And so I asked her about that. Mm. And, um, and look, Jenny Macklin is one of the most influential women in the history of, of the parliament. Like, she was the like a low-profile but very powerful minister in the Gillard and Rudd years. She's quite an amazing 
legislator. So just keep that in mind when you hear what I asked her. Mm. In this interview, I said to her, this is for the newspaper, um, oh, so what's going on? Like you've sort of changed your appearance. And she kind of like laughed uncomfortably. And then she just said, well, Annabelle, you know, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> and I thought, mm. I suddenly thought, oh, my God, Annabelle, what an absolutely appalling question to ask. Now, I've subsequently embarrassed her by mentioning this a thousand times and apologising <laughs> it to her, and now I think she thinks I'm a bit odd. But that is, it's weird because I think it's un, it's not unusual for men to age in office. Like, it's mm. a stressful job. Like, Barack Obama kind of, like, got grey hair over the yeah. course of, of his term as president. But, like, for women, I think we're a bit more vigilant about changes in their appearance. And like I said, I did sit down with pen and paper and worked out um, thinking about how much time Julia Gillard spent getting hair and makeup um, while she was Prime Minister. Because, like, if you're a woman Prime Minister, you can't do the old John Howard and go for a walk in your Wallabies tracksuit and then just mm, give yeah. a doorstop because people get freaked out if you turn up looking like she did on the sandwich board, you know, in her first story, like hair everywhere. People read different things into that. A woman looking dishevelled is like, oh, is she really on top of things? Um, So she spent, according to my calculations, about 1,100 hours having her hair and makeup done. Did she say she she had a professional makeup artist and hair team? Yep. And she also... Every um, day? Also, she lived with a hairdresser, which... She used to get teased about, but like, I reckon, crazy like a fox. You've got a hairdresser Mm. right there. Use that resource. But so, and because of the requirement really for her to look organised, together, made up, ready to face the world, that's like an hour a day that you don't have to spend doing, you know, the stuff that male prime ministers do, like, you know, reading books on Roman aqueducts, if you're, you know, Malcolm Turnbull scratching your nuts, obviously, uh, very popular, or, (laughs) you know, kayaking or, you know, Tony Abbott cycling to Melbourne and back or whatever, you know, he used to do to get his head in the right space on the day. So, like, completely different kind of standards and different practical requirements. But the other thing that happens to some women, and this is, like, a bit terrifying, (laughs) is that... They get asked to do sort of photo shoots, right, like for Mm. women's magazines and stuff. And the advantage of this is press advisors love it because they're like, oh, we're presenting you a whole new readership that doesn't necessarily, like they're not going to the financial review to read about you. They're like, oh, what's this person really like? And so often women do do these kind of magazine shoots, but they can go horribly wrong. And um, this is Cheryl Curnow, who's the former leader of the Democrats, and then she defected to the ALP. She's a really significant figure in Australian politics. And she did a photographic spread for Women's Weekly. And ever since, like, she was on the front cover of the Women's Weekly wearing this sort of gown and a feather boa. And the feather boa has been sort of attached to her like this terrible snake ever since. So here's her description of how that all happened. The feather boa, that's... That's an iconic thing, isn't it? Nobody believes that there's a backstory to this, which is at the very end of the what would have been a normal traditional photo shoot, Deborah Hutton said, Oh, look, we just had this second outfit made. It's um, all the rage overseas at the moment. It's fin de siècle in Paris. She said, Could you just pop it on for a few shots? And of course, ever obliging me, stepped into it and didn't for the life of me think that it was going to end up on the front page of the tabloids um, quite deliberately. And I really disliked the way the sisterhood in the press gallery went after me and my judgment for that when the backstory really was quite different. 
When you went into politics and when you became more prominent, how cautious were you about what you consented to be photographed doing? And Oh, not conscious. Not, not sensible at all. Not at all. Because there was this culture in the Democrats that was any publicity is good publicity. Yes, do it, I would be told. Yes, do it. It's a good idea. It's publicity. And, um, yeah, I think there were many that I would prefer I hadn't done, um, including the, the feather boa. Um, but, again, I can only plead. I know you find this hard to believe, but I truly, here I was, negotiating major pieces of legislation and so naive about the symbolism of uh, a costume which was going to be exploited, you know, on the pages of the, the tabloids. Wow. Isn't that interesting? It's like this split second, it's almost like her guard dropped and, like, I think it often happens on these shoots that they're like, oh, we've finished the shoot, but here's another, just, I don't know, just try it on. It'll be fun. Mm. The same thing happened to um, uh, the former sports minister, Kate Ellis. She writes about it in her book where, you know, at the end of this shoot, they're like, oh, do you want to try on this leather mini dress and these, like, sky-high heels? And she's like, sure, we're done anyway. And then, of course, that's the one that gets used. And she's like, oh, my God. You know what's interesting is I haven't really seen any, like, overweight or, you know, noticeably overweight women in politics, whereas there's a lot of men who are overweight in politics. Yeah. And I wonder if this is another cross-section of the image of women who are overweight being viewed as lazy or incapable. And, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, I'm a big woman. And um, I wonder if that, like, what that would be like, you know, or or particularly well-endowed women or, you know, those sorts of things. Where would our focus be? Yeah. I, I think that there is... In women in politics, leadership of any kind, I think, their appearance and their control over their appearance and mm. their, like, ability to, like, turn up looking neat, tidy, but groomed, not too slender. Hot. No, no, definitely not too hot. I mean, hot. because then you are probably a slut. Like, that, yes. is, that does mm-hmm. happen right. mm. to young single women in politics. Mm. But, like... For women, your appearance is sort of connected to your competence in some way. And, like, when we talked to um, Julia Gillard, she said, look, you know, we read things in to women's appearance. We think clothes say something about a woman and her character. If I said to you um, she's constantly dishevelled, you would be likely to put character traits around that. This is a woman who hasn't got it under control. Um, She's a bit haphazard, a bit slovenly. You know, you'd make a set of judgments about her. Whereas we don't do the same for men. So Boris Johnson can be constantly appearing with his hair everywhere and his shirt untucked, and that's dismissed as, you know, posh eccentricity. Whereas if a woman did it, it would be like, what the? You know, she's trying to be Prime Minister of the nation. She can't even tuck her blouse in. Like, what's going on with this? But, like, going back through history, like, there were really um, interesting constraints on how women in politics, when the, like, the early women to go into politics, as to how they should present themselves. And um, I interviewed this woman called Margaret Reynolds. She was a Labor senator and she was the first woman to represent the ALP from Queensland. 
And this is what happened to her when she showed up in the Senate in what she thought was a perfectly businesslike outfit. I was from North Queensland and going into Canberra winter. And so one of my first purchases was a a red, a moderate red, a sort of Senate red um, pantsuit, which were all the rage at the at the time. And I thought it was quite a respectable number. But the first day I wore it into the chamber, I got a call from the president's secretary saying the president would rather you didn't wear pants into the Senate. Now, I thought of a suitable answer, but didn't use it, of course. Um, But I did say, well, look, if he feels that way, would you ask him to ring me? He never did. And, of course, I told all, you know, the Labour women, and we all turned up then in in pants, and it's been, you know, uh, go with what you go, you want to wear in the Senate ever since. I just love how she deploys the power silence. She's like, he can ring me himself if he wants to make this suggestion. That's great. What a great woman. Dead silence. Yeah, I know. She was really gutsy. But, like, apparently, like, yeah, all these other women then started wearing pants. But, like, a pantsuit. But don't you think that's almost the way to enact change is just to go, I'm just ignoring it. Yeah. Like, okay, all right, thought experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think would happen if all of the women got together and all started wearing, I don't know, the same thing, you know. If they decided on a uniform. Yeah. Well, people would assume that it was a vicious feminist plot to take over this country (laughs) and there would be civil war immediately. You're so right. You're so right. (laughs) And we'd get read into, yeah. Well, what if they all just went, do you know what? No bras tomorrow, ladies. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's hang free. Oh, my God. Can you even imagine? (laughs) That would tempt you into politics, maybe. (laughs) What are you, sorry, just before we, I know that you've got heaps of um, stuff to show me and, and uh, a lot of historical stuff. I'm just interested to hear what your thoughts on somebody like Jacinda Ardern are. Well, she is a person who um, did things differently from the get-go. I mean, like, yeah. she, when she announced that she was having a baby whilst mm. being, like, a serving leader of a country, mm. that was massively controversial and people were just like they they were doing their heads in like you know how's this gonna work oh my god and I mean I don't know, men have been procreating whilst in office you know throughout history sometimes <laughs> just, without people's consent anyway right <laughs> okay so but I mean you know but what she's done is not care what people think and go and do it and be good at it and everyone's like oh well that wasn't so hard after all because that's it? that's what I'm trying to sort of get at is mm. You know, is it just one of those things of I'll show you, um, or is it because she has a, she comes from a different country that maybe has, is slightly more progressive than our well, own? But I think I'll show you is the story of women in politics everywhere. It's whether true. it's like because it's sort of if if the assumption before they even arrive is well, women don't really want to be in politics and probably wouldn't be very good there anyway, and then they show up and they're like, do you know what? Actually, quite good at this, and everyone's like, oh, gosh, all right, then. That's when the caravan moves on a little bit. And bit by bit, as women are the first woman to do X, Y or Z, people are like, oh, do you know what? The world didn't end. Turns out our assumptions were not accurate. And I've got this like little tape to play you from Julie Bishop, who, you know, she was serving in the Howard government. She was um, 
She was in a few different ministerial portfolios. The first one was when she was appointed Minister for Ageing in the sort of like late days of the John Howard government. And I just want to play you what happened to her. Um, thinking about, you know, our assumptions about what people should look like or dress like, whatever. Mm. Here's what happened to her after she was excitingly, you know, promoted to become a minister. The day I was appointed Minister for Ageing, I got a phone call from a senior member of the Prime Minister's staff who said, congratulations, Julie. Now, I'd like you to dress more appropriately. And I looked down at my suit and my court shoes and I thought, this is inappropriate. And he said, get rid of the corporate look. No more Armani. I want you to dress like a minister for ageing. And I'm thinking, I'm taking fashion advice from a senior male member of the Prime Minister's staff. And I said, and what would that look like? And he said, well, you know, cardigans and things. <laughs> and this is before cardigans were fashionable, OK? And Michelle Obama hadn't worn a cardigan by this day. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I tried it for a while. I tried this kind of new look that I thought was how a Minister for Ageing should appear. It didn't last long. Isn't that funny? That, like, I, I'm fascinated by that story because I just think... The audacity. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> that somebody would think that they had the experience to tell this woman what to wear, right? Like, it's just this, like... And obviously quickly disabused of that sense of authority, but, like, it made me think that I noticed that women in politics often question a lot about what they see about the around them. They war game what's happening. They question their own sometimes entitlement to be there. Mm. But I really rarely see blokes questioning their entitlement to have a view on oh. something. I don't know, look, what the guy was wearing who was ringing up to tell her how to dress, but I'm guessing maybe nothing that complicated. It just it just blows my mind. It's you know it's uh, it's a little bit off topic, but it's it's interesting being on Total Control, um, which is a show that is all about a black woman bringing down the government to its knees, you right? Know? Um, and there was a scene. I've been watching it back the last season while we're filming this one. Yeah, and there's a scene because uh, Rachel Griffiths is she plays the female prime minister, mm -hmm. um, but she also EP'd it and. It's her concept. Yes, and she's a rather clever person. She's very clever. <laughs> um, and there's a scene in it where she's taking an important political call yeah. completely naked, <laughs> right, and um, and getting dressed and trying to figure out what to wear while she's having this important call. And uh, she did a lot of interviews and a lot of research with female politicians and that was actually taken from a, a specific story that she had about the professionalism that you have to show in these moments right. where you're vulnerable as a woman. And, like, it was just something that was really interesting to me, the idea of that being the most vulnerable situation and also mm. that as a, you know, middle-aged woman that she, mm. she plays in this, you know, in, in the show, how well her body was put together and how much she specifically wrote this scene with the team of writers based on the experiences of working with female politicians it was just a really, one of those really big moments for me of, of that element as a female in politics. Well, sometimes, you know, being like surviving in politics mm. is about being invulnerable, right? Like in order to, like, this is why I could never do it. Like, you know, every single day you have to be prepared to like walk down the street and for someone to stop you and tell you what a bloody idiot you are. Like, I mean, that happens to men and women. Like it's not, but there's this additional kind of 
patch of like kickable ass for women, like where you're like, oh, also your hair looks stupid, or like also you're, you know, well, have you a seen like comedians that might write about like, and and I I don't, but you know, if you want to talk about politics, they bring up things like. Huh, and isn't Julia Gillard ugly, for example? You know, like those right, kinds yeah, of that things. that is original and funny. So that's, you know, I mean, that's why I love that stuff. I mean, you don't, you don't but, mess with the formula. But, but do you know what I mean? Like the, the idea that we would go after our politicians' looks. It's like, yeah. you know, if, if the world, if we lived in an idealistic position, we'd almost have a robot that would make the best decisions. See, now you're talking, Steph. <laughs> like, I think finally we're seeing some sense. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. But you also need them to have empathy. Like, I'd yeah. be a crier. I'm such a crier. <laughs> I couldn't be in politics. I just cry all the time. People would be like, she doesn't know what she's doing. And I'd be like, you're right. I really don't feel like I can today. <laughs> and your makeup would be ruined. Yeah. Well, look, I reckon I, I want to finish on a note of reclamation because like as you know humor is a is a way to really kind of make sense of things and also close them off and also say do you know what I don't accept your premise so I wanted to play you Julia Gillard talking about one of the weird things like many weird things that happened while she was prime minister which was and it it wasn't just men or journos or criticizing the way she looked she was also told by you know leading feminist Jermaine Greer she had a big bum, right? Yeah. This is on a Q&A episode during the prime ministership of uh, Julia Gillard and Jermaine Greer, who specialises on going on Q&A and saying <laughs> sort of absolutely off-piece things. She said, oh, you've just got to better get a better jacket, Julia. You've got a big ass. Get over it, right? Okay, <laughs> so here's, here's how Julia Gillard uh, recalls that incident. I've talked about it a fair bit. I talked about it on UK TV only to work out to my horror that one can't say arse on morning TV in the UK. You get bleeped. Um, Someone's like, I'm from Australia. I didn't know that. We can say arse any time we want to. Um, I think it's because of that time that Paul Keating touched the Queen on hers, isn't it? I'm really not sure. But uh, I didn't want to be rude on UK TV, but obviously was. Uh, and I talked about it uh, when when I was working on the book on women and leadership with uh, Ngozi Okonjiri-Wheeler. Uh, we talked about it at one point with one of the female leaders we interviewed, uh, only to have Ngozi, who is Nigerian, uh, you know, you know, throw herself backwards in shock, grab my arm, and say. In Nigeria, you would be viewed as skinny. I would say too skinny to marry my son. Uh, like, okay. <laughs> that is why Julia Gillard has now moved into international diplomacy, <laughs> where she can deploy that ass. <laughs> anyway, I do love to see these women kind of like taking these tropes about them and just yeah. turning them into something gold, you know. Absolutely. And not caring is kind of the ultimate revenge, right? 100%. <laughs> and if you show people that you care... That's what they can mine into. Or or the opposite, you show people how much you care very vulnerably. You either have to be super vulnerable or completely impenetrable. I think there is no in-between mm. because anything in-between can fall into inauthenticity. Well, it's just another thing that they have to make decisions about like when they go into politics, these women. I, it's, it's an amazingly complicated field. Um, now, one thing that I want to really talk to you about to is just the tricks of the trade that women use when they kind of move into these male environments and the tactics that they use. So I've got a bunch of things to play to you next time we play together. Thank you. Very excited. (laughs) Thank you. Annabelle, 
Steph, I don't know how you feel about plugging stuff. Oh, I feel cautiously okay. Well, <laughs> just so that you don't have to direct people to go and look at your face on a screen, <laughs> let me tell them, go and watch the show because it's got Annabelle Crabbe in it. And she's a crab. It's got heaps of great women in it. Misrepresented, now that you mention it. You can watch it all on iView right now. All of it. All of it. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.